0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to NCEA Podcast. This is Kevin Baxter, the Chief Innovation Officer for NCEA, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast this week. And we have Carrie White and Dan Masterton here, who have uh, written a book for NCEA, Cultivating Faith, a Guide to Building Catholic High School Campus Ministry. And so we're super excited about this topic, uh, especially now at the beginning of this year. We know uh, high schools are, are thinking through strategies and ways to support um, their communities. And so it's a great resource for high school principals and high school campus ministers um, to help guide your work for the coming year. So very, very excited. Um, I just want to start off a little bit with your background. So Carrie, why don't you start? Talk, to, talk a little bit about your background and how you found yourself in uh, Uh, being passionate about campus ministry
1: sure thanks Kevin I'm starting my 10th school year I work at a all-male high school in Cleveland Um, and actually campus ministry was not something I ever thought I would do Um, I went to college I wanted to be a youth minister in a parish I thought that was the best thing Um, and it's a really important work and I did parish youth ministry for five years out of college I went to a small Benedictine University Um, I'm originally from Minnesota and so I went to school up there and my mom um, said I should get a degree in secondary ed just in case I ever wanted to work in a high school and at the time I told her she was ridiculous because working in a high school is the last thing I wanted to do Um, And now I'm entering year 11 and working in high school ministry. Um, So it's crazy how much smarter moms are than most of us, I think, sometimes. Um, So uh, after five years in the parish, um, I was just struggling with some different things and was able to do a... After my parish job ended, I worked, um, took over a long-term sub in a high school for about three months, which was a really good way for me to kind of get back into the school life and realize um, that it was a better fit for me and probably where I um, should be spending my time in my ministry. So, um, And then I've been working in high schools ever since. I did a year at a school in Minneapolis and then moved um, to my current position in school. I'm at St. Ed's in Lakewood, Ohio, and it's been a really good uh, fit for me. There's just a lot of joys um, in being able to work with these kids um, and the adults every day, I think, has been uh, exactly what I needed and I think where God has wanted me to be.
0: That's great. And where mom wanted you to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Mom (laughs) Mom always knows. knows.
0: (laughs) That's great. Thanks, Carrie. Uh Dan, how about you? A little bit about your background.
2: Sure. Uh, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. Uh, I went to St. Viter High School, which is run by the Viatorians. their are a smaller men's religious community. And they always were very committed to campus ministry. We always had a big department, lots of retreats and service offerings. And that's where I kind of found my, my greatest joy in high school and where I found a lot of my friends. Um, I led a lot of retreats, did a lot of service, um, and got a lot of leadership opportunities there. So I kind of picked up that thread when I went to college in Notre Dame, um, sang in the full choir, and I was a mentor for Notre Dame Vision, and studying theology just all kind of kept pointing me in that direction. So um, after a year of post-grad service, I found a job in a Catholic high school, and I have done seven years in a few different Catholic high schools in campus ministry. Um, with retreats and liturgy and service and had a lot of fun. Um, I'm now a dad with two little uh, daughters, so um, thank you to Cardinal Supich. My archdiocesan school gave me 12 weeks off when my first daughter was born, Um, and I've been part-time since um, and have actually since uh, taken a new job working with the Viatorians who ran my high school, um, supporting vocation ministry and communication. So it gives me a great way to stay in some pastoral stuff, but also have smaller hours and more remote work so that I can be a stay-at-home dad. Um, so it was kind of in that context that there was a little bit of wiggle room in the evenings and weekends and stuff to sit down with Carrie on Google Docs and write out this book. Um, so that's how I've gotten to where we are here today.
0: That's great. What a wonderful gift uh, for you to be able to stay home with your girls. That's that's terrific. Um, well, thank you both. Uh, it's a great book. Um, lots of content and, and lots of chapters. I've picked out a few kind of the uh, key things that I thought would be really interesting to talk about. Um, Dan, I want to start with you. Um, you kind of lead off um, with kind of the importance of ca- um, of campus ministry and also talking about campus ministers as, a, as kind of a person, what the ideal role might be and what the realistic role might be, if you will. So just talk a little bit about this, especially in light of the um, you know, we do have obviously the coronavirus right now and a lot of uh, challenges that, that are facing schools, but um, talk about the importance of campus ministry and why that's uh, the focus of the book and why you both um, kind of chose to focus on that area.
2: Sure. Um, we tried to write the book thinking more about ideals, but also being well steeped in the practicalities of working in high schools. Um, and we both kind of agree that for a high school to really see really positive outcomes in faith formation and with their students' spiritual and religious growth, you do have to dedicate resources. So ideally you have at least, um, you know, depending on the size of your school and the, and the budget that you can handle, you have at least someone who's dedicated to campus ministry full-time. Um, from there, if you need to subdivide roles or change titles around or put um, pieces of people's contracts towards campus ministry, that helps. But um, we talked about some different structures in terms of Um, Director positions and leadership positions in the administration, or simpler structures with just a campus minister um, on more of like a faculty level, Um, but talking mainly about the dedication that a school needs to have towards having a retreat program that's thoughtful and builds in intensity or intensiveness and um, objectives, um, being committed to liturgy and prayer from all school liturgies to daily prayer to a culture of prayer across the school. Um, and also the importance of service and social justice. Um, So not necessarily just programs that count hours that you can put in brochures, but programs that are focused on cultivating in the kids uh, a sense of a faith that does justice and comes alive through the things that they're doing together with peers and the ways that they're processing um, the experiences theologically, so that they become something that's owned rather than something that's just put on a resume. Um, So we talk a little bit about those three areas and about some of the ways that campus ministry needs to be a dedicated specific position um, and not necessarily something that's just taken for granted so that there's someone who's kind of articulating it and pushing the importance of it from a a dedicated place and helping build a school wide culture of campus ministry um, across the faculty and staff and all the adults working with the kids.
0: I was struck by that. You talked about it being kind of the ideal, and I think you even described the room as couches and you might have TVs for videos and and then the more realistic you might you know have a a smaller kind of space or have to teach and those types of things. I, what's your view? because a lot of this, too, I think, comes back to what is the value the school's placing on this aspect of of school life um, we obviously in Catholic schools want to make sure that we have our faith at the center of all that we're doing um, so when you hear those kind of realistic stories that sometimes are um, kind of disappointing we know there are obviously financial challenges with those types of things how do you how do you communicate how or how would you communicate to a school that maybe is making those choices in terms of how they have to value that and really
2: prioritize that The way that um, a a priest chaplain who I worked with and I always said was um, we want we would hope that um, school leadership and families and students would see campus ministry as an equally important. Aspect of a well rounded high school experience on par with athletics with extracurriculars and student activities um, with fine and visual arts that it's seen as a crucial central component to a well rounded high school experience. Um, So budgets and space realities might dictate different um, iterations of that, but we would always say that if you want to see those strong outcomes in your graduates and where they get um, as a result of being part of your school community for four years, we always hope that that was seen as an equally important part of the high school experience um, across the board, which, you know, again, easier said than done. but there, as long as there is a, a dedication and a priority given to it, I think you can find different expressions of it can work in different communities.
0: That's great. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a great way to think about it. Um, Carrie, you, you, you write uh, the section on liturgy and prayer, obviously very, very important. Um, Dan used the term culture of prayer, how you build a culture of prayer to school. Um, how would you advise schools to kind of build a culture of prayer?
1: Oh, that's such a good and important question and something I think about too, especially as prayer will likely look different as we go back to school, um, because in our area, at least all school assemblies are not really a thing. So getting everybody together, even to have mass is probably not the way we're going to do everyone in the same room. Um, So I think a lot of it just comes from providing opportunities for students um, to be able to pray. I think uh, obviously the liturgy is probably the most important way we can do that as Catholics, but even being intentional and helping students understand what liturgy means and finding really um, key ways that the kids can be involved in the planning and even the executing of the liturgy. Um, we started at our school, I had some students who essentially just started like pulling out stuff for mass one day and we're like, can we use this? And they kept saying, I'll go get this stuff. And that was how we kind of started this student sacristan program. So now six years later, as they've been training each other, like they pull out things for mass that I forget we use sometimes because they're just so efficient with it that I don't think about it as much anymore. Um, and it, it's allowed them and now, and now they're starting to ask questions about why we use different things and how do they find where their readings are. So now I can teach them about some of the um, more nerdy aspects to liturgy maybe that I find pretty fun. Um, and So now they're able to talk to their friends about why we use readings that we use and different things. Um, And I think if you can get students to a place where they're willing to um, own different aspects of prayer and then take those um, and share that with their friends now they're kind of leading each other um, and it gets embedded in the fabric even more and i think doing that for all kinds of prayer so are there, can you have shorter prayer experiences during the day or before or after school that students lead or put together and lead whether it's a, a liturgy of the word service or um, something going on in the community that students can really be a part of, I think, um, can really help and other faculty too, are there faculty members um, that have a particular prayer experience or way to pray that they really like to do um, and would be willing to lead that with students. Like we have a teacher um, who, Centering prayer is an important part of his prayer life and uh, was doing centering prayer with students during Lent once a week um, as a way and because they really like him and respect him they were willing to um, try this aspect of prayer and it was a really neat way to see like um, the students trying and learning and incorporating something new but also seeing a little bit of like um, other people can help them to pray also Um, and moving like the more we can get involved um, I think the more people sometimes the more helpful that can be as well to kind of let it um, branch out and become a part of the whole community in that way
0: yeah that's great Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening Carrie have questions about The coming school year, you know, in terms of liturgy and in terms of faith formation, um, even if they're if they're at the elementary school level, I know that's um, that's been things we've been hearing. You know, how do you do that if you're a remote environment? How do you deliver that virtually, et cetera? Um, So, how did you deal with that when when schools originally got shut down with coronavirus and how are you thinking about it in terms of the coming year? I'm not sure if you're going to be start out in person or not, but we all have to have these plans, you know, depending right. on what the reality is. And so how do you think about liturgy and building a what I keep thinking about is this really strong sense of community that that's kind of anchored around our schools because of the faith. And how do you continue to focus on that when we're uh, we're not in person with one another?
1: Oh it stresses me out and (laughs) it scares me a little bit but we have a pretty good opening plan and we're planning to be back in person Um, but not until the middle of september so we've given ourselves a little bit extra time to kind of get ready um, and we're doing some things so the teachers can cast their classes and all of that kind of stuff Um, but we've talked a lot about especially with our liturgies um if our plan is to um, project them to different spaces potentially classrooms in the building now we've kind of made our whole building into a church environment and individual classrooms now can kind of set up a liturgical space while mass is being offered um, in our chapel and so can they as part of the beginning part of mass each class writes a prayer and we collect those prayers and bring them up as part of the offertory like we're all here um, and here are these prayers that we're offering offering as part of this mass um, even though we're not all in the gym together. Um, the harder one, I think. Oh, and so we'll do some things like that's our hope for the liturgy at least. And then we're thinking about um, like, are there individual ways students can offer prayers, um, s- particularly on s- some social media accounts. So especially when we first shut down, we use Twitter a lot um, to post prayers and scripture readings. like. Uh, and even email, I would email out Uh, the morning prayer and then a scripture verse of the day actually that a senior pulled for us every day so um, to kind of keep that stuff in students minds but we've talked a lot about having kids make videos even amongst like if we have to watch a mass through a screen like what does that mean in terms of how we are participating in the liturgy um, and trying to empower the kids to kind of explain that to each other I think Um, will be important and of course we have to be able to make sure like they understand it first um, the leaders who maybe are willing to undertake some of these things Um, and i think the retreats too is maybe what stresses me out the most so if you have good ideas out there (laughs) let me know Uh, world but uh, especially if you can't go on field trips uh, what are things that you can do in light of the theology classes like can we ask that classes to have some retreat like elements either once a week or maybe throughout the whole week that would kind of cover because we would take all of our students on a day-long retreat somewhere out of the building but we for sure can't do that for the first semester at least so what does that mean we're hoping like maybe we can take a theology class once a week or every other week and do some of those retreat elements and be able to work, um, some of the upperclassmen that would lead the underclassmen retreats into some of that experience because realistically, I don't know that it's, um, feasible all the way to be able to pull a group of 50 students and have a retreat on the school campus somewhere our campus isn't set up for that Um, we just don't have the right amount of space and with when you add social distancing and all of that stuff um, makes it more complicated for us but that could be an option for schools too maybe to be able to do some of those things in-house but we've really been thinking about what are elements that we can still do within the school day And some of ours were just planning to bump and hope in second semester we can do an overnight Kairos retreat. Um, but I know a lot of schools did have some success doing virtual retreat experiences as well. Um, and there's some resources out there particularly in the, uh, campus ministry Facebook group, um, shared retreats and stuff. So that could be a resource to check out too. I was not brave enough to try an online retreat. Um, over in March when we shut down but that's probably something that we're also strongly considering um, should we have to do that particularly um, if we go longer <laughs> like past much past January February March um,
0: yeah I mean I would just say too when you say stresses you out I think know that everyone feels stressed out. I think that's something that we say sometimes that you know everyone's trying to make it as, as like it was before. And it's just not. So it's not going to be exactly the same. We're trying to make it as good as possible. Um, so I um, appreciate that honesty because I feel like that's where educators are right now. We just, we're, we're all trying to figure it out. And um, and we're all a little stressed about that and what it's gonna look like. And uh, we're gonna move forward doing the best we can.
1: So. Right, and I keep thinking like, it's new. That doesn't necessarily mean it'll be worse. Like it could be better. And maybe this is an opportunity for me to teach our faculty more about the liturgy, if they're gonna have to help their students experience the liturgies in ways that maybe they haven't before or to, Um, get our faculty involved in doing some retreat-like elements in their classes that and we're going to find out um, we love that kind of thing so much we're going to keep it even when we can go off campus somehow
0: yeah I'm going to move to Dan but um, just a really quick example of that my my family and I we went to Easter Mass with Bishop Robert Barron (laughs) <laughs> because <laughs> right. because we could you know um and so sometimes the virtual mass gives you opportunities to do things that are that are really you know really great that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do dan i was gonna transition to retreats and um and carrie uh, brought this up which is which is terrific and uh, in the book you talk about being really intentional in your time space and context and so um you know, Carrie's bringing up this whole context of coronavirus, but, but talk about when you wrote the book, really, what you mean or what are some examples about being really intentional regarding time, space, and context for retreats?
2: Of course. Uh, I think sometimes there may be a little bit of a poverty of what a retreat really is or means um, when it's being planned. I know that I've walked into schools where campus ministry was sort of a side gig for people, and they had to throw together what I would really charitably call like a morning of reflection or kind of a glorified field trip. Um, and I think what distinguishes a retreat and what you need to focus on when you're trying to lay the groundwork for it are those three things. So um, time, is there a significant amount of time being set aside? I think if all, all you can manage is a school day in your calendar, your logistics, that's understandable. But I think the best, the best things happen on overnight retreats and longer, the best, most lasting, um, more intensive things um, when it's possible. I think in terms of space, uh, it's ideal to get off campus, if you can, to get to somewhere that's dedicated to being a retreat center, you know, softer environment, carpets, couches, gentler lighting that's hopefully non-buzzing fluorescent lighting, Um, a chapel, preferably with um, flexible seating that you can move around for prayer services or rituals, um, as well as mass or reconciliation. Um, And then context is really important. Setting the tone with um, the right things at the top of the retreat, like, Asking them to have fun and invest themselves openly and charitably and generously. Um, Emphasizing confidentiality is key to all of the small and large group um, experiences. Um, And then uh, challenging them to embrace vulnerability and to um, remind them that our lives resonate with each other when we share ourselves openly and uh, receive others in turn. So if you can focus on those three areas well, you can do something that is more um, legitimately and more deeply a retreat i think in the pandemic times we're going to be challenged with accomplishing some of those things when we're still trying to be safe and protect our students and families Um, but one thing i think is really definitely true now that carrie touched on is that you have an opportunity if you're willing to see it optimistically and um, take the time to kind of hit the reset button a little bit Um, i think especially if kairos retreat programs and especially at schools that have been doing it for years and years or decades even Um, where things kind of become tradition and that word gets loaded up and we associate aspects of those retreats as being so holy and sacred that they cannot change or be touched when in reality they may retain very little of the content um, and spirituality and religious content that we want our retreats to be steeped in. Um, So I think, you know, for schools that may have to go a year or two without doing a Kairos retreat, it will be sad for the students who miss out on it But as you reevaluate the content and approach of student leadership formation, your schedule and the contents of the days, the way that the talks are structured and connect together, um, and really how it's all meant to be rooted in the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, it can become an opportunity to hit the reset button, get back to your roots a little bit. And if there are traditions that are becoming toxic or are getting away from what retreats are meant to be, which is yes, on one hand, religious spiritual experiences of fellowship and relationship, also some fun. If you need to find a new balance point for all of that, this is an opportunity to do that and get back to some of the core ideals that retreats are hopefully meant to be um, founded upon when they started at the school in the first place.
0: It's really interesting that you bring that up in terms of retreats, Dan, because I I think about that in terms of my my work around innovation. I, I think about that for Catholic schools in general. What are we learning through this process and what can we kind of let go of and, and how can we improve Catholic schools uh, when we're on the other side of it? So what are we learning that we can kind of maintain um, throughout it? Um, Dan, you also mentioned something interesting about retreats that you feel like the movement for the kids should be uh, from self to others to God. Um, talk a little bit about that movement um, through the process of a, of a retreat with, uh, for students.
2: Yeah, so we, we when I've built good four-year programs that, that build from the kind of simplest experiences of freshman year into the more in-depth stuff that juniors and seniors can handle, we find that at the core, freshmen and sophomores especially, really just need to spend time trying to figure out who they are. Um, they come into high school at such like kind of a squirrely, inflected point in their lives where they're experiencing a lot of change and trying to figure out who they are. Um, And I think as you try to find your friendships and your friend circles and teams and groups having that self knowledge is so integral and core so we find, especially with freshman and sophomore retreats. um, If you focus more on helping students understand who they are, especially as um, sons and daughters of God as children of their parents members of their family members of your school community those kind of core identities will then translate into helping them have a better understanding of relationships. And it's not that you have to reserve the religious peace and the relationship with God um, until they're seniors in high school or something, but if you build it upon that those self-knowledge explorations and the focus on relationship, the the piece where they are building a relationship with Christ and seeing the Holy Spirit's movement in their community and in their family, that kind of comes more naturally. So I've found with my colleagues over the years, that sort of movement is most natural to what the kids can follow but it also seems to facilitate the best exploration and growth um, so a freshman retreat might not even really get into relationships and deep faith stuff a sophomore retreat might start to get there and then by junior kairos or a senior overnight retreat um, you really have primed the pump toward this type of explorations that can get deeper into relationships and hopefully really explore and deepen a connection with god and an ability to see the spirit um, moving through community and through friendships as well
0: that's beautiful that's beautiful thanks dan um, Carrie, a big component of campus ministry service and service learning um, which you write about in the book um, and you have a couple of really good um, kind of uh, i guess either or Kind of concepts so i want to just go through a few of those one i know a lot of places faces is hours versus experience right so how do you how do you measure um students completion of of service and so talk a little bit about your thinking in terms of hours versus experience
1: um it's it's hard i think a lot of it probably can depend on what a faculty is capable of in terms of time doing um We've done both and I think what we noticed most at our school is when we transitioned from a sheer counting of hours um, for kids tracking and they had to turn them in and we would like log it and there's a different way. There's apps and companies out there too now that will help you do that um, to expecting kids to have particular faith experiences um, the way they were able to reflect on these experiences um, was we thought more genuine and deeper than when they were just um, reflecting on different hours or trying to hit a maximum number of hours. Um, And we're pretty lucky uh, in our schedule that we were able to take students on a lot of these experiences ourselves within the middle of the school day. Um, So they would miss their lunch period and a class before their lunch. And we'd do some different things, particularly around food, but um, it was a way for kids to really kind of see the different needs out there in Cleveland and ways that they could meet them um, and being able to go once a week and then the, we built it into theology classes so it became a grade um, and while it's not I deal necessarily, but like grades do motivate kids to do things and to accomplish things um, and to maybe even engage a little bit more um, authentically, at least that's what we found where we are. So um, once we tied that to it, um, we found we were able to have more genuine and honest conversations, I think, with kids about why service is necessary um, and why it's important. And I think that was really significant in our students understanding themselves. And we saw an increase even in our extended um, service trips that we do in the summer to different service um, camps and organizations. So I'm a big believer, I think, in Uh, service experiences and it also once I didn't have to track hours for 500 students um, and it was just half of I did half and um, our mission person did the other half of the school of students like I was I freed up my time too to be able to think about more things or different things and I wasn't tracking down students to Turn in hours in the same kind of way because now it's tracked in their theology classes and their um, Theology teachers are grading these things throughout the quarter in the semester um, So there's another level of accountability built in uh, But I think the most important thing was just being able to see the kids kind of take those experiences and reflect on them in a little bit different way And we set it up so each grade, kind of the experience builds on itself um, so that ideally by the time they're done, they're kind of setting up and completing their own service learning program, um, incorporating all the things that they've learned over their three and a half um, years by the time this project is said and done, uh, which then we can give them ownership and hopefully that continues throughout their education.
0: That's great. There are a couple other great ones. I'm time wise we're gonna I, I'll use this as a teaser for the book everyone needs to buy the book because you talk about community service versus Christian service and charity versus justice which I love those frames for how to how to think about it I want to close with having both of you talk about this section on self-care and I think this is so uh, important for educators all over and Dan I was going to start with you um, just a little bit about self-care uh, in terms of um, and I think you're doing this a little bit right now you're living it but how do you really balance Balance that that life uh, at work life at home and how do you think about that
2: yeah I think uh, in schools especially among uh, faculty and staff you see people who are called to this on a vocational level and who naturally have this really deep generosity to share and give of themselves to say yes to things that students in the school community need um, and that often comes with a deficit in um, resting getting sleep exercising eating healthy Um, and the types of things that keep us uh, feeling well. So it's good to have an eye for that, especially as um, a new school year is starting. So Carrie and I tried to offer a few of our favorite things that have worked for us over the years. I think my favorite one that is in the book there um, is leave when you can leave. It was the way I kind of described it. Um, Campus ministry, especially, we would have a lot of uh, multiple hour long Kairos meetings, um, you might have an evening or weekend liturgy. You might have a retreat that bleeds into a weekend or finishes very late on a Friday night. Um, so my philosophy was if I didn't have anything after school on the books in terms of a meeting or a gathering or a school event that I was attending, I would stay 15 or 30 minutes, make sure no one didn't, you know, came by and I'd pick up a form or ask a question or just check in and talk. I'd kind of take a casual walk through the student gathering spaces, you know, in the lobby, in the hallways, and then I would get the heck out of there. <laughs> because there are plenty of days where I would have something starting an hour after the school day ended and had an hour to mill around and talk with colleagues or catch up with kids. Um, And on days where I didn't, I went home. And I think I was a lot saner for it and it kept me in a lot better shape um, following that rule. So that's one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, it's really important balance, absolutely. Carrie, how about you? Uh, Advice for self-care for campus ministers.
1: I think Dan stole my favorite one and someone that took me the longest to learn too i think that it's okay when you don't have things to do necessarily to not be at school like it's okay to leave your work there and go home um i was i would always feel bad when it was like five o'clock and be like i could still be working but i can do all these things tomorrow and I, it's better for me to just go home and that's a really important thing i'd say the other really important thing is seeking out Um, like-minded or other campus ministers out there that can support you in finding professional development Um, and I especially am grateful for how much NCEA has been offered and I'd say um, the offerings for campus ministry has been ramping up um, significantly in the last couple years um, which has just made me feel less alone um, because I think it's so easy and schools tend to be um, like our own silos sometimes and we're just doing our thing all day long and i forget like i can reach out to other people um and get their ideas and their support and i'm not the only one worried about the how we're going to do this school year i'm not the only one trying to figure out the best way to do kairos um at any time and that there's a lot of people out there to help us kind of figure this out together i think
0: yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, I think you know, to your point about leaving, both of you, it's. I think our Catholic guilt sometimes gets us, and we feel guilty or somehow if we leave early, and and it's, well, it's such a great lesson that I think comes is that when you when you can do that, because there are those days when when you stay extremely late. Well, uh, this time has flown by uh, for me for sure. Uh, I'm so grateful, uh, Carrie and Dan, for uh, you both spending. This time with us to talk about your book, *Cultivating Faith: A Guide to Building Catholic High School Campus Ministry*. Um, it's a it's a wonderful resource, as we said at the start. And I know um, I know uh, high schools, uh, Catholic high schools, and even elementary schools will uh, benefit from uh, what's inside. So, grateful to you both um, for being with us. And that will do it for this uh, episode of NCEA Podcast. I'm Kevin Baxter, Chief Innovation Officer. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. God bless.